What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the podcast. Woo! Today we are be doing our continuation of the Revelation deep dives. I like that, the continuation of the Revelation. The continuation of the Revelation and the impartation. For the sanctification. For the sanctification of the unification. With the glorification. Of the gospel. And the congregation. <laughs> there it is. That was it. I could have going. Yeah. I keep listen going. to too much Christian rap tonight. Hey, that's okay. Keep going. Holby would be like, I'm spitting a bar. He would, yeah. We're not Holby. No. We're not that. Not even close. Awesome. I love Holby, but not So, close. yeah. Again, disclaimer, if you are tuning in for the Vantage Point, this is certainly a podcast, but we are continuing a deep dive into Revelation. And so last night, my man Stop. brought the truth through Revelation 2 and 3, looking at the seven churches. And real quick, like, put it in a nutshell, what'd you talk about last night, Brody? The main idea was that Jesus' love for us is bigger than our mistakes. And I think we have to realize that when we read these letters, they're just as much for us as they were for the church then. Mm-hmm. It's more for the people of God than it was the church at that time. Um, and a lot of these things really do apply to us. So, I mean, I, when I was just studying, I was like, man, I mean, you were there when that was happening. Yeah. So, um, it makes you check your heart. Yeah, no, it really does. Well, you know, kind of just going off of that and continue on, I think we covered a lot. And I, I think that there was a main idea in every single one of these churches that we talked about. So if you haven't listened to that, that'll be posted on YouTube. You can go listen to that sermon. Absolutely. Um, but one of the students came up to me afterwards, and I thought I asked a really good question that I think we can dive into. Because Revelation, we're going to see a lot of literal and a lot of kind of metaphorical slash prophetic. So, you know, it's like, how do you decipher, okay, which part of the revelation is literal mm-hmm. and which part do we kind of have not really quite a literal, but it is something that's going to happen. But yeah, what's symbolism and what's literal. Right. Yeah. I guess so, that. um, but I think the thing that I want to acknowledge, and he asked this question and I thought it was good. He said, was this literally for the churches and for us, or is it just like for them at the time? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that apply to us today? And I thought it was a great question and something we can just talk about because honestly, for us to understand that, I mean, that's really the foundation of these and I letters. Think, and I think that's going to be a lot of people. Th- yeah. A lot of people are going to be like, so, okay, how, how, what lens do I read this in? And so, you know, not to rehash what we talked about last week, but one of the things that I said in our podcast last week and to the students last week was there's two ways you read this. First, got to read it within the historical context of who it was written to. So literally, it was written to the seven churches. Uh, when it was written, though, John was also using that as symbolism to represent the entire church. For, and then Jesus would say, uh, I want to teach you, I want to reveal things to you now and for the people to come. And so, uh, yes, it was written, all of these were written specifically to the seven churches, uh, many of which Paul would have already had a relationship with, being, or Paul, uh, Paul would have had a relationship, but, but John was the one writing to them, so they would have already been developed, and it wouldn't have been unreasonable for them to receive a letter. Uh, but it's also... written to the church today. Amen. Yeah. And it's applicable to the church today. 100%. Because some of the things that he hits on, and I think it's important that we dive onto or dive into them, they're significant for us today. Definitely. And even in the, and 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 let me say, this is, doesn't need to necessarily be a dive deeper into what you talked about. Cause I thought you actually did a very thorough job. So I, I would say if you didn't listen to it, check it out on YouTube on the students page on the IBC students page. But Let's break down what's going on with these churches and, and how it is applicable to us. So, for example, the church of Ephesus, be on guard against false teachers. Think we got to deal with that today? 
Oh yeah. One hundred poor or poor one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Right? Yeah. But you know, and and this isn't in your notes. Uh, I took pretty good notes last night during your teaching, but you said that Jesus knows his church. Mm-hmm. And in that, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. All of it. Jesus knows his people. And so for the church of Ephesus, he's saying, be on guard for false teachers. They're coming. Yep. Jesus would say that. They were going to be uh, wolves in sheep's clothes. But then he also tells them to remember their first love. Don't abandon Christ. Yeah. Like, man, so, and this is the difference between following Jesus and accepting Jesus. I know I've harped on that. I know we had a whole podcast about it, but the reality is your first love is your supreme love. Right. Don't merely accept, accept him into your life, but give him ownership of your life. Um, and, and one of the other things that you said is, and, and, and Jesus hits on this in all of these letters, is repent and turn to Jesus. Yeah. Turn away from yourself and turn to Jesus. The American church needs to hear that. I would argue any church needs to hear about that, but the American church needs to understand you need to yes. quit abandoning your first love and turn to Jesus. And yeah. how you spend your money, turn to Jesus. And how you plan activities, turn to Jesus. Quit trying to do everything you think that will work and start honoring and glorifying the Lord yeah. and make it about the gospel. And the problem that, you know, kind of piggybacking off the false teachers, the problem with our culture today is that prosperity gospel is permeating so many churches. And social gospel. And social gospel. Moralism. So, And what's funny about that is one thing, I, I saw this clip on Instagram and it was talking about prosperity and how you have to have this much faith and the Lord will bless you mm-hmm. you know it's just he just did air quotes by the way yeah it's completely it's wrong for us to understand that um totally it's the it's a false gospel it's yeah. fake so but what's funny about it is i was realizing it's a work that's a works-based gospel absolutely because they're saying you have to do these things in order to get that blessing but the reality is we can't do anything and and at the center of that gospel who 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 sits at the center you you do yeah you have to accomplish this in order to receive this so you're, you're basically saying I'll work for you, God, if you give me what I want. Yeah, you give me money, health, happiness, I'll be, I'm all for it. But then when that doesn't work, that is why people leave the church. And they get hurt by prosperity gospel, and they get hurt by social gospel, because all of a sudden these things that they're being taught from a pastor who's honestly probably making way too much money mm-hmm. and fame. I mean, look at the shoes they're wearing sometimes. It's like you're wearing $1,000 shoes, and you're pulling up in your Porsche, you know. Like, I'm asking some questions if that's happening with my pastor. But Absolutely. You know, one thing I think we have to realize is that is how people fall away and they forget the first love. I think a lot of people start out genuine of, okay, they maybe get encountered by the gospel or they're interested in Jesus, and then they just get put in the wrong church. Absolutely. And that is completely damaged. So, And Jesus they, they is, shape their view of God based on their experience in the church. Right. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, we have to understand that one— God is perfect and holy, and we serve him. And he is not his people. No. He reigns over his people, but he is not his people. Yeah, I mean, and that's why these letters are important. Yeah, absolutely. Because we see the flaw of man when man is in charge of the church. Oh, yeah. And that's just how it's going to be. I mean, no church is perfect, and we've talked about that many times. We are not perfect. And when we start to switch that view of we put God and our pastor on the same level, that's when we get dangerous. Dangerous. I think that the church in Ephesus is absolutely, we can learn from that, and it Mm -hmm. definitely does apply today. And that is true. Like, the American church, we need to repent and hold fast to the true gospel. Absolutely. And I think all of these are going to have 
a a touch of reality for the American church, and that's the culture that we are having this podcast in. Um, so quickly we go into the Church of Smyrna, pretty good church, yeah. Church of Smyrna. Jesus didn't have too much to say bad there. Um, they were running with endurance, fighting the good fight, and and ultimately they had this view, and Jesus wanted to encourage them in this view, is that this world is not our home. Mm-hmm. So like you're in the midst of, of a lot there going on at the Church of Smyrna, but man, God is, he's with you, so don't have fear. And, yeah. and just know that this is not your home. And they were doing a good job of that. Yeah, in the face of persecution. In too. the face of persecution, yeah. It's literally, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich and the slander of those who stay with or say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Mm. Ooh, behold, this is crazy. Uh, second part of verse 10, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. I mean, it's God is preparing. Jesus is saying to them, attacks are coming. You're doing wonderful. Yeah, keep it up. Keep that up. Yeah. And so I think that's also incredibly encouraging because when we think about the letters to the church, our minds go to Jesus rebuking. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there were churches that were faithful. There were other churches that just needed correction. Yeah. And and that's, isn't that the season of our life at times? So much. Seasons where we're faithful and then something happens and we turn to sin and we have to repent. And then we're faithful and then something happens and we, sin gets exposed in our lives and we have to repent. Yeah. It's a good thing to repent. And I yeah. think that's not talked about enough, but repentance is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, later on, well, I mean, later on in the letters, Jesus even says that those whom I love, yeah. I reprove and discipline. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that I think our view can often be like, you know, shame, 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 shame. How dare you? Shame, shame, shame. It's like, you're, yeah, you can have sorrow for your sin. You should have sorrow for your sin. But the reason you feel that sorrow is the Holy Spirit working inside of you because Jesus loves you enough to give you that Holy Spirit for you to, you know, be sanctified, to feel bad when you mess up, to... Yeah, and the beauty, I think, of our... I don't think we need to feel shame. I think it's... Our sin is evidence of our brokenness, and there's beauty in repenting of our brokenness because there is forgiveness. Yeah. You're not left in your brokenness. There is redemption. There is one who who has satisfied the wrath that your sin deserves. And so instead of uh, listening to the enemy and feeling the shame when maybe you're, you're distracted or you're tempted or you're tested, you can feel the freedom of giving that weight to Jesus through repentance and allowing him to do a work in you that is your joy. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's significant. Go on, uh, the church of Pergamum. Pretty cool stuff. Jesus knows our persecution. He knows what we walk through, and he tells them that exactly. He yeah. knows where they dwell. He knows exactly where we're at. So for us today, we have to understand Jesus isn't surprised by the sexual climate that our country is in. Right. The gender confusion that exists within American culture right now does not catch God off guard. The immorality that is present in our everyday lives, from entertainment to social media to what we're exposed to in our school and education systems, that does not catch God off guard. Yeah. He knows our persecution. So we need to turn to him in the midst of that persecution and stand firm on his truth. Why? Because exactly what he tells the Church of Pergamon applies to us. He promises our 
fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he is our fulfillment. That's significant. So when this culture tries to saturate us, we can fight that saturation with God's word and with his truth. And if there are times where we give the culture too much play in our lives, the answer is to repent. Yep. Because we're not perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. The Christian life is not a sinless life. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. (laughs) The Christian life is a sanctifying life, meaning you won't be sinless, but you, as you grow closer to Jesus, will continue, Lord willing, to sin less and sin less and sin less and expose more sin that is deeply buried in the very fiber of who you are. Yeah, and if you have the expectation on yourself that I need to be perfect completely, mm. you're going to be get tired. Yeah. Like, that's going to wear you down because you literally are incapable because of your humanity to get to that point. But that's why Jesus did that for us. So we didn't have to because obviously God knows we can't. No. So in our sin nature, we just we can't. And we'll fail every yeah, time. We'll we will. fall short every single time. Yeah, and that's important. So the theme of repentance is in, you know, so... Uh, strong in all these letters. And I would argue the theme of repentance is strong all throughout the New Testament. Yeah, true. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Yeah, I mean, so many times. So we should have that practice in our lives because Jesus modeled it. Repentance isn't something that we should run from. It's something that we should run to. Yeah. And I think the enemy has succeeded in some of his attacks within the American church and in the lives of believers to say, no, 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 no. Repentance is an admittal, admittance, so sorry, let me rephrase that. Repentance is an admittance that brings shame. Mm-hmm. That's how he stops people from doing it, which is yeah. why people are slave to pornography, uh, slave to same sex attraction, slave to so many um, twisted sins that we believe bring shame. No, um, repentance may be an admittance of uh, a brokenness, mm-hmm. but it's all for the purpose of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a, it's a confession to say, Lord, this is bigger than I can handle. I need a work. Yeah. And there's not shame in that. There's forgiveness in that. And that's why the enemy doesn't want you to be repenting, because he knows once you walk through biblical repentance, you're going to start to not only receive forgiveness, but you're going to be calling on the Lord for help. And there is a supernatural presence that exists inside of you called the Holy Spirit who is going to equip you and strengthen you. And then there is a body of believers who also struggle with sins that are going to come alongside you and battle with you. Repentance has to be our theme. Mm, that's powerful. Yes. I mean, thinking about, yeah, man, that change your mindset on it. I mean, oh, you've got to start you changing to. your mindset on repentance. Because the enemy doesn't want you to. Right. Yeah, because that's where the victory is. I him. mean, the ultimate goal would be, oh, to get them to never repent. Stay in darkness. Exactly. Never leave. Never. Stay here. It's so dark and scary. Anyway. All right, so the church is Thyatira. This is church number four. Um, Jesus commends them for some pretty good stuff that they're doing. Yeah, stuff that, you know, we, the prayers that we would be commended for our love, faith, yeah, love, full service, faith. and endurance. Mm. Like, man, that's great. However, <laughs> he also rebukes them for your good. You said this, and I thought this was so key. All throughout the churches, uh, he says, I know your works. Yeah. And when he says, I know your works, that's a good thing. But then it's typically followed by, but I have this against you. So it's almost yeah. like it's, it's the bad news sandwich. I know these good things, but 
Yeah. I also need to I need to check you here, which is dude, again, we should welcome that checking of our lives. Yeah. Um and so he does. He 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 certainly checks the church of Thyatira. It, yeah. Because they're hunted down, it says. I mean, I will say that I didn't have there wasn't a lot of time to go deep into this, but the the Jezebel you never want to be compared to Jezebel. Because she was probably the worst of the worst when it comes to Israel and like rulers mm-hmm. and authorities. I mean, she murdered people constantly. Like it was just you do not want to be compared to this woman. So for them, they would have been like, oh, <laughs> this is a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. So they're going to listen. Like, I mean, if you're calling a church a Jezebel church, they're going to be listening. And we have to understand what we can practically pull from this is understand as believers, we are going to be hunted by the enemy. Yep. And he is going to come at us in our weakest points. And that is not new, by the way. Literally, what did God say to Cain all the way back in Genesis 4? Mm-hmm. He said, sin is at your door, crouching, seeking to get a foothold. Meaning, sin is on the other side of your door, and it wants to put its foot in between the door, so it must always remain open. Yep. That is the truth. And specifically within the American culture, I think the enemy works um, within sexual immorality. And, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Lust, pornography, mm-hmm. uh, sexual temptation, unfaithful marriages. I would even go adultery, to Adultery. Gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. Transgender yeah. identification. LGBTQ plus. attacks plus whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's where the enemy is yeah. working right now. And we have to be aware of that and because it, some will catch prey to that yeah and it, we have we are hunt it's hunting yeah i mean literally being hunted mm. you can go on social media and i said that there's no anytime you put your gender in a social media app you're instantly going to be targeted off that by ads suggested reels because they know who you are and they know what you like and they know what your temptations are and they want to change how you think yes and and that's the ultimate i would say of a, a vice for culture today yeah is the way they are hunted sexually in so many different ways. And not to make it like weird, but like you just have to, you have to understand there are a lot of real attacks here. Like, so for example, um, man, stuff that students are dealing with right now that's rampant is like sending each other nudes yep. and, and being, getting requests for nudes. Like, where do you think that stuff comes from? That's all from the enemy. It's, it is an objectification of an individual. You're trying to, we are being so conditioned to not view each other as people, but objects for our own gratification and satisfaction. So I don't see this person as an individual, as a soul created by God. I see this as an object that I can use to get what I want. That's from the enemy. And think about, man, if if the enemy can attack and change your view of how you view other people, because remember, we are made in the image of God. Mm. Think about how twisted everything else gets after that oh yeah when you stop viewing people as fearfully and wonderfully made yeah as children of god you're right i mean it's that is permeating generations i would argue older generations now because it's just so it's everywhere it's so accessible and i would paint the other picture and the other side as well is our response to these things isn't to hate individuals Mm -hmm. certainly we can hate the enemy and the enemy is the enemy we can't hate people because they fall prey to the enemy. And, and sometimes within Christian culture, that's been the response. 
oh, you identify as a transgendered person. Oh, you identify as a homosexual. Oh, you identify as someone who, um, whatever. We hate you. Now, we may not say those words, but our actions have created those feelings. Yep. That's not biblical either. Nope. Biblical approaches to that are to draw them to the truth which is found in God's word in love and help them see who they are, what they were created to be, who they were created to be, and who God is that loves them so much that he has sent Christ for them. Yeah. Not shun and hate and disown, but instead take the truth in love. And that's what Jesus does to these churches. Mm. That's the thing that's great about every one of these letters. They end with a promise, yeah. a hope. And that is the beautiful part. That's what we have to understand is that that's how we are supposed to act as well. He's modeling for us absolutely how to approach people in their sin and call them into repentance with love. We're not called to conform to the world. We're called to reach the world. Mm -hmm. We're also, it's not our job to condemn the world. It is our job to reach the world. I, I loved what Ephesians 3 said. How in the world is God going to make his mystery made known to the world and to the heavenly rulers and authorities, which, by the way, are the demons, it's through his church. It's the mystery made known that is manifested in the people of God. That's going to be God's proclamation to the world and to the demons, I am greater. That's powerful. That is powerful. That's what we're meant to do. Yep. Yep. Let's go to the church in Sardis. Yeah. I think that this one's this is hard. This is a hard one to deal with, and mostly oh. because you can see it everywhere. I literally wrote in my Bible, "scary." Yeah, on verse one. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Second part of verse one, it it's, says, "I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead." Mm. Ouch! Yeah. Then my mind goes to Ephesians two. Yeah. Once, you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked following the courses, uh, following the prince of the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is, you got this reputation of being Christians, but you're dead spiritually. Yep. It's not that you once walked. It's that you are walking. You are following the desires of your flesh. You are being controlled by the passions of your mind and your flesh. Like, that's intense. Yeah, and it should. That should. That should wake <laughs> you up. Which is, that's why I love what he, what he follows it with. Yeah. Wake up. Wake up. And strengthen what remains that is about to die. And I think students need to hear this. Um, I needed to hear this as a student. You can't be in both ponds. Are you alive or are you dead? You will always have a reputation. Hear me, and it doesn't just have to be students, anyone listening. You will always have a reputation. Do you have a reputation of someone who is identified as a Christian, but you're dead spiritually? Or are you alive, but you have a reputation that you're dead based on how you act when you're with your friend? The... Sword goes both ways there, and yep. each one is just as damaging. What he is saying is, do not be in two ponds. Be sold out in one. You are either a follower of Jesus or you are a follower of the world. 
don't have the reputation, though, because that brings damage to God's church. Yep. That brings damage to God's people. That brings brokenness within the unity of the church. If you have the reputation of, I'm a Christian, but in all reality, you do not love him. Yeah. That's, again, Man. that's heavy. Yeah. And I think that picking up on the, you know, bringing da- it brings damage to mm. not only the church, but people who view the church, like people who are not necessarily Christian. And you're saying, yeah, I follow Christ. I follow Jesus. But then I'm going to go do all these things that everyone else is doing. So my life look, looks nothing different. Yeah. And then you come into the, then, then people, by God's grace, are brought into the Christian community, hoping to hear the truth of the gospel, hoping mm-hmm. to see the fruit of what the gospel does. And then they see the brokenness of one who is dead but claims to be alive. And now their view of what the church is is the dead people in the church, not the alive people. And they see it as fake. because They it is see fake. it as fake. And it, it, it's imaging to their, their whole view yeah. of, of God and history. I mean, why would you, you want to follow something that you view as not working because you don't even see fruit in someone else's life that claims to follow that same thing. Yeah. If you don't believe in it already. I mean, think about, think about the impact that has on people. Mm. When you're in your locker room, and I, I, always, I think I like to bring up the locker room because locker room culture is a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, there's some crazy stuff that goes on in those things. And they're dark. And I think that we should acknowledge that that's dark. And not even just locker room, but like theater. Or your orchestra, band. Like, there are so many parts of your world that are dark. And we have to be strong as believers in Christ and be alive in those dead cultures, in the places where people, where dead people are walking. Because what is the true gospel? It's being alive in Christ, it's being a, a part of the culture, but not in the culture. Yeah. Saying, like, I can go to school and I can stand in my locker room. And when people go, hey, Brody, why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you participating in this conversation? I can say, man, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus. And the Bible teaches against those things. And I would love to talk to you about it more if you have any questions. But I'm not going to participate in that. We can still be friends. I'm just not going to do that. Come what may. Come what may. And that is powerful. I mean, And it says so much about you. Yeah. But more than that, it says so much about your Lord. Right. Or I don't want to fit in. If that's what fitting in is, mm-hmm. I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to follow you. You want to you want to talk about powerful? Tell your friends I ain't following you. I'm not following what you follow. I'm following the King. Whether you want to or not, I don't care. But that takes an authenticity. Yep. Students, you want to be authentic. You want to be real. Don't be fake like that. Don't claim to be following Jesus. Follow him. And more than your words, follow him with your entire being. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go on because we got to wrap this. Wrap it up. Church number six, Philadelphia, good, Dope. solid church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's really, I think that if we can be described like this, That's what we're, we're doing it right. Yeah, bro. If you can be, if you can be Smyrna, if you can be uh, Philadelphia, things are going great. Yeah. And again, that's why I said at the front end when we started talking about Smyrna is the, it's the ebbs and flows. Like we're going to have times. That, that's the beauty. You're going to have times that you're really close to the Lord and there's going to be, and as you're close to the Lord, he's going to bring up things in your life that are 
that are in need of repentance of, and and you got to respond in repentance there. Yep. Um, and then there's going to be times where we sin creeps into our life, and we just need it to be exposed because yep. sometimes it's just we're not aware that we're sin, where we're sinning or in sin. Uh, but yeah, Philadelphia. I mean, the main point there is let your love drive your passion mm. to follow the Bible's commands, to follow Jesus' teachings. Yeah. That that's what that's what they were doing, and they were commended for it. So, all right. Laodicea. Laodicea. Last church. Arguably one of the most fa- I mean, this one in Ephesus are probably the most famous that yeah. when people think of Revelation churches, they think of Ephesus, you abandon your first love, and they think of uh, Laodicea, a.k.a. you're neither hot nor cold, so I must spit it out. Yeah, and this, we want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge that this has been mistaught uh-huh, so many so times. Many. Like, I remember when I first heard a message in this passage of the Bible, it was the whole, like, God wants you to be hot, not, not cold. cold. No, God wants you either but, to be hot or cold. Because that's useful. <laughs> because you're going to be useful. If you're right. hot, there's benefits there. If you're cold, that's benefits. You're drinking that stuff. Yeah. If you're lukewarm and disgusting and there's maggots growing in you, that Yeah, worse. <laughs> I mean, go find lukewarm water just anywhere, and you're going to be like, oh. You're going to find mosquitoes. That's yeah. what you're going to find. <laughs> hey, there's some lukewarm water. Let me take a drink of that. And then zzz, all the mosquitoes. Bleh. Yeah, bro. It. Ugh. <laughs> So, obviously, Jesus is using a very strong uh, symbolism for them to explain their spiritual condition. It's also under, it's very key here to understand what water represented. Yeah. All throughout Scripture, what water represents. Water is life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are literally washed in the water. Baptism. We are buried with Christ, raised with new life. Jesus is referred to as the living Water. Exactly. Water is significant. So for him to even use the illustration of water, it's very important. And obviously, it's geographically based as well, which you covered in your sermon. But, um, yeah, man, our, our desire here is not, not to be lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Which, again, that's what, that's, that, and that's kind of, again, very similar. Don't have the reputation of being alive and be dead. Yep. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be worthless. Don't, be, don't just float in this life. Either be hot or be cold. Be useful. And that's not, not saying that hot or cold, one is better than the other. He's, he's saying be useful. Be authentic. Yep. Be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's going to be more, way more powerful. I love, uh, Brody, I love how he ends it. Me too. In verse 19, when he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. And what? Repent. Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And that's significant. Mm -hmm. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. Jesus' door is not always going to be open. Yep. Right now he's knocking at our door, but there is going to be a time where people will knock at his door. And the difference is when he knocks at the door, he gives us the invitation to open it up. We come to his door knocking. And that door closes, and unfortunately, it will close. The door of salvation will close. You can knock all you want, and he is not going to answer. Nope. He is not going to open up. So yeah. there's, there's some weight here. Yeah. I think it's important for us to note that this is at the end of all the letters mm-hmm. for a reason, I think. It's to remind us that Jesus is the way. He is the one true way, the gospel, the door into eternal life. And the way we get there is through repentance. Yeah. 
and following him. And, and even the, the beautiful promise of being invited in to eat, like that is awesome. I mean, you are literally invited into his family because he loves us that much. And I think that that's the cool thing about ending these letters. It's like, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So we should find joy in that. And we should be zealous to repent. Yeah. That is beautiful. Why? Because verse 20 through 22. The one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit me on my throne. Sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. But what's the important part at the end there? He who has an ear, let him hear. And that's in every letter. And that's, that is the key. And that is the theme of Jesus when he would speak truth. He who has an eye to see or ears to hear, let him see and let him hear. In this truth, I would say the same thing for us. Man, we need to reflect on our life. We need to reflect on our walk. And we need to draw closer to the one who sustains us, who loves us, who cares for us, who gives us his grace. We need to have ears to hear his rebuke, his reprove, and also his love for us. And where he tells us to go, we need to follow sincerely Mm -hmm. and wholeheartedly abandoning everything else because he is sufficient and he is worthy. Yep. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy. What will you do? What is your response? Yep. And I think that's how we end. I agree. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We, uh, we are going to release a podcast this week, mm-hmm. probably that is not Revelation-focused. <laughs> Uh, so be be checking that out. And Back again, to your regularly scheduled program. Yes, yes. So th- th- thanks for diving deep on us. Sorry that was very serious. Uh, this was a very serious two chapters. Um, we will be back next week in Revelation with four and five on a deep dive. That's going to be good, y'all. And you should check it out in person. Come on Sunday nights at six at Emmanuel Baptist Church where we're diving in Revelation. Heck yeah. All right. Have a good day. See y'all.